Hello and welcome to AIDS Map Chat, the podcast. My name's Susan Cole. And I'm Matthew Hodson. And thank you so much for joining us on our weekly chat about issues affecting people living with HIV and COVID-19 from all around the world. Uh, we've got an amazing lineup of guests. We have the angelic troublemaker, uh, a podcaster and an activist for LGBT rights and particularly for LGBT people in Nigeria, Busy Alimi. We've also got Georgina Caswell, who's the head of programs at the Global Network of People Living with HIV and Dr. Anton Posniak, an HIV consultant at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and currently the president of the International AIDS Society. Oh, wow. So we, we have some fantastic guests. Lots has been going on uh, this week in relation to HIV and COVID in the news. Is there anything in particular that struck you, Matthew? Well, I, I mean, we've had data now from uh, Barcelona and from New York um, about HIV incidents amongst the COVID patients which they're treating. And I think what's interesting is, to a certain extent, it's the lack of news here, because in the Barcelona group, there were only five people living with HIV amongst them. And although the uh, numbers in New York are like huge, uh, it's 0.8% of the people who are there treating for COVID are living with HIV. And actually, in the population of New York, HIV prevalence is 1.3%. So they're actually seeing a slightly lower proportion of people living with HIV than they are seeing than they would expect to see if it was randomly selected. Now, the numbers aren't so big enough to make that statistically significant. But I guess what that does seem to indicate is, as we've as all the evidence is kind of continuing to say that people with HIV are not at a greater risk of COVID as a result of living with HIV. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because um, the British HIV Association today have um, updated their guidelines and it seems to be very much the same, that as long as your, your CD4 count is above 50 and you don't have any other um, underlying health conditions that put you at greater risk, you shouldn't um, necessarily be um, taking any further precautions than the general population which is very yeah. encouraging. Um, but obviously, um, you know, there are different guidelines from all around the world. So people need to be very mindful of that. And it is, it's, it's these other health conditions, I think, which we need to be kind of really concerned about because people with HIV are more likely to suffer from some of the other health conditions which are associated with poorer outcomes with COVID. Um, and also, I think there's that fear that because people with HIV, um, well, we're going to talk later on in the show, I know about uh, treatment access um, and, and the additional strain which COVID is putting on that. And what we see from the history of pandemics is that often the numbers of people who die as a result of the actual pandemic is dwarfed by the number of people who die because they're no longer able to access medical services. And we've already seen an enormous disruption as a result of COVID. And we reported on the AIDS map site today about some of the trials which are currently undergoing for HIV vaccines and uh, all of those trials, they've either been brought to an early end or they've been temporarily suspended. So it's, I mean, I, I guess I, I feel kind of really frustrated because in terms of HIV prevention, we were making good progress. It wasn't as fast as we wanted it to mm. be, but we were really starting to notch up some kind of great successes. And I guess I feel kind of concerned that, that 
among all the other terrible things that this that this disease is unleashing upon us that actually it may really knock us sideways in terms of that goal which we were starting to get close to absolutely yeah, that's be... very frustrating but obviously all of these stories and a whole lot more are available on the aids map website little yeah. uh, plug there <laughs> People should go there. It's a very good source of information. <laughs> so without any further ado, I think we should bring on our first guest. Uh, yeah, let's hope so. Um, I believe our first guest is going to be uh, uh, busy, busy Alina. He comes, yay! Oh, hi, busy, hey. how are you? Hey, how are you? Hi, guys. Can, you? Can, can you hear me? Now, okay, good. Yes. <laughs> I, I can hear you brilliantly. So, so busy. Uh, you're obviously very used to being on the screen. Now, I believe is this right? You were you and your partner were the first gay couple to be like be an openly gay couple on Nigerian television. Is that correct? Yes, that was um about two years ago when um we went to Lagos together and um, we got cut off and we were told to come for a TV interview and yes, and that happened. All right. And, and how was that? Was that okay, or was it was it like a nerve wracking thing at the time? <laughs> It was quite nerve-wracking for him. I, I'm used to causing trouble, you know. It, it comes with a price. But he, he was very much like, oh, my God, are you sure we want to do this? And I said, you know, there is someone out there who is a lesbian or who is gay who needs to know that, you know, the future of having a partner that you love and will be by your side is possible. And for them, we have to do that. So, yeah, and, and it went down really well. Fantastic. Now, you are such an incredible activist for LGBT rights internationally and particularly in Nigeria. Um, how, how do you think lockdown is affecting the LGBT communities of Nigeria? It's been um, a huge impact. And you were talking about, you were talking about this um, before I, I came on, about, you know, the impact that it's having not so much on, um, not when it comes to um, HIV effect in terms of comorbidity but it's very much about you know the lockdown and what it means for a community that is already stigmatized and already mm -hmm. at the background so access to hiv drugs has been a huge thing and because again you know a lot of people don't have the luxury of six months um supply so you have to go back to the clinic every month or every other week to get your supply so that has been a big thing lockdown means no job so people don't have access to job there's no social security so a lot of people a lot of lgbt people most especially gay men are seriously affected with it so access to money is complete zero and so we are afraid of what impact that will be in the long run to hydarians right because you you have the the, the busy alimi foundation don't know how you came up with that name. It's a brilliant name. Um, but uh, <laughs> you cheeky. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but no, it does it does amazing work, and I, and I've been I've made a long a long time admirer of the work that they're doing. Um, so what what what's the Busy Lumi Foundation doing right now when their people are so isolated? You know, the first thing is that we we have a big challenge because we um, I have about three of my colleagues on the ground in Nigeria. We are very much of a policy research organization, so we're not so much a, um, a service users organization. But for the past two weeks now, we've completely become a service user organization. Um, I think it must have been two weeks ago, we had to build up an emergency grant where we gave over out over 200 pounds to different people uh, who are either HIV positive or just LGBT people that cannot have access to, to feeding. And um, we've moved all our programs online. So we're doing a lot of programs that 
like we had a session on mental health and COVID. We've had a session on COVID and fake news because it's a huge thing in Nigeria. And we're having a next session on um, COVID and, um, and HIV and looking at how it affects you and how you can deal with that. So what we are trying to do is just give people enough information and put their heart and mind at rest because that is very, very important. Yeah, that's brilliant, Busy. And I mean, do you have any thoughts in Nigeria? What would be the most effective thing to slow down the spread of COVID? Um, I think that social distances is not going to work and, and, and lockdown is not going to work. And that is where the problem is going to be because people are not, the, the economy is not like the UK economy or the US economy, is a, is a daily income economy. So which means if you don't go out, you don't have money and if you don't have money, you can eat. I think the investment that we need around that area is, um, is face mask. I think that will, if people have access to face mask and it's free, it's just like, you know, we can look at HIV prevention in a way and say, you know, when we had access to condom and we had access to information about how to use condom and we can replace lubricants with hand sanitizer. And so if people have masks and they have the hand sanitizer, you just have the solution basically because people then automatically know that I can put this around my hands and I can wear my mask and I can still go about trying to make a living. So I, I don't think the one size fits all of lockdown, mm. social distancing mm. is gonna work for a country like Nigeria. I think it's, it's still challenging because we still, there's, there's kind of quite a lot of uh, debate about how effective uh, face masks are in, in, in preventing uh, transmission. Because um, in America, for example, they're very much you know, pushing face masks and they're saying, if you go out, you should wear a face mask. Mm. And in London, Sadiq Khan, the mayor, is, is, is very much off the face mask, you know, pushing it, and particularly for going on public transport. But there are other voices which are saying, actually, it's not effective or it's very limited in its effect. And they, they're concerned that if people are wearing face masks, they may become complacent about other challenges and so actually may put themselves at greater risk. Do you think that is a, going to be a challenge in Nigeria? Matthew, doesn't that sound familiar though when condoms started? Oh, people are just going to do this. Oh, people are just going to do that. I think that it's not just about just dumping face masks at people. We need enough mobilization about this. We need enough information. I still believe that around the world, the level of information we have about COVID is still close to zero compared to the level of information we have about HIV. And I don't know why it's taking so long for this to come, but I really think that if we start campaigns and programs around COVID, people are smart enough to know how to protect themselves. And, and I think we can to a level trust people that if we give them adequate, simple to understand information, they will take action that will protect their lives. And I think that is what is missing. We're not treating people, you know, the way they should be treated when it's come to this issue. I mean, I absolutely agree. You need to give people information. And I think it's really important that we get as much accurate information out there as possible. Busy, it's always a joy to talk to you. Yeah, um, wonderful you so to have you on, on the show. That's busy. Please Alina. don't forget, wash your hands and don't touch wash your hands. <laughs> Thanks, Busy. We're trying desperately to get through this whole broadcast without touching our faces. And it's such a strain <laughs> for me. I'm, I am the world's worst face toucher, I tell you. Uh, it's absolutely terrible. That was Busy Alimi. He's also a podcaster and his podcast is called Angelic Troublemaker. So look out for that. I think coming up next, I'm enormously excited to welcome 
Georgina Caswell from the Global Network of People Living with HIV. Hello, Georgina in Cape Town. Great to have you on. Um, I have to say earlier when I got your message, was that the sound of a baby in the background? Yes, it's the sound of an 18-month-old baby who, um, yeah, is currently elsewhere being taken care of whilst we oh, do this. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks very much, Georgina. So, Georgina, GMP Plus have been doing a survey of people living with HIV from around the world in terms of how um, the COVID pandemic has been affecting them. Do you have any results from that so far? Yeah, so we, we've, we've, um, the survey started a couple of weeks ago. And in fact, it's a survey that GMP Plus has led with ICW, the International Community of Women Living with HIV, as well as um, Y Plus Global. So that's the global network of young people living with HIV. So we're three global networks that um, put out this survey to just find out what's happening. And um, to date, we have 46 responses from networks and organizations of people living with HIV. Um, uh, having looked at the, the, the results, um, clearly one of the big issues coming out is just um, the real kind of fear um, and, and concerns around access to ARVs during this time. Um, so during the time of lockdown, where people are quite isolated, mm -hmm. um, and you know, uh, different countries in different stages, just that fear, like Bissy was saying actually, fears around shortage, because there've been lots of countries where there've been drug stockouts um, already before COVID, but um, now just sort of really fearful that um, in the COVID-19 context that there'll be stockouts. But um, the really interesting thing that we saw from several networks was the issue of um, fears of um, getting your ARVs um, because of um, police intervention. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I followed up with one example today from Eswatini and spoke to them and just to hear, you know, what, what's, what's the issue in terms of police. And she was actually describing um, an experience that she herself had um, faced whereby she was in the taxi. So that's like a minibus headed to go get her ARVs. And the, the police are really trying to restrict movement. And so they um, asked everybody in the minibus, where are you going? And so she mm. said, well, I'm going to the hospital. So then you have to give like evidence about what is it that you're going to go and do. And, um, and she said, well, to pick up her medication. And in doing so, she had to show her, um, her ART book, her green book. Right. And so that's kind of, it's forced disclosure because the, the police can find out she's living with HIV. Everyone in the minibus finds out she's living right. with HIV. And yeah, so it's, it's to avoid these situations. Um, that's, yeah. that's really awful. I mean, have you heard anything more about the uh, other impact this is having on women? Well, I mean, from, from a women's perspective, we're hearing a whole range of different experiences, actually, really worrying things. Um, for pregnant women who aren't able to access ARVs for, you know, some a lot of countries, if you're feeling well, they allow you to have your ARVs for three months. But for pregnant women, um, you know, in many cases, you can only have it um, for, for perhaps a month at the most. 
So that's what one of the networks in Kenya was sharing. So that means that women have to find their way to the health facility at a time when transport is restricted, when you don't really want to be out and about anyway. Um, and where, as Bissy mentioned, if you aren't making money, you know, to be paying for transport to go to a health facility is not great. Um, also for women um, in terms of sex workers, um, a network in, um, of people living with HIV in um, Kazakhstan talked about sex workers not being able to work and therefore have income for themselves, their families, to feed their families. Many are living with HIV, so being able to access their treatment. Um, but there's also the issue, which is a global issue, around domestic violence and abuse, which is really, really, really frightening because that often that happens in a situation where you're very alone. Um, mm. And so, yeah, very important to to have peer peer support in these contexts. Absolutely. I think that's that that is what we see, isn't it? Is that when there's a pandemic raging, as this is, that actually all of the problems, all of the challenges, stockouts, domestic abuse that were there before are exacerbated. The problems become bigger. I, uh, what about the community responses? I mean, because one of the things which I've got out of reading about COVID and how communities are responding is, you know, some incredible efforts which communities themselves are taking on, often mm. because the government isn't doing enough to actually yeah. keep people alive or get them get into the medication. What, what what responses are you hearing about? Yeah, so honestly, like genuinely super inspired by lots of different community responses and extra proud that, you know, responses coming from networks of people living with HIV, women living with HIV, young people living with HIV. Um, in, in India, in um, Uganda, we've heard examples where um, people are literally taking treatment, um, actually taking the medication to people who aren't able to get to health oh. facilities. So that's really, really important. Um, so getting medication to people. Um, in Jamaica, um, there's an, a, a community of women living with HIV that is um, actually um, making care packages um, and also making masks, the face masks. Oh, okay. Talking about, but not just for those living with HIV, but for all community members and healthcare workers. So that's really inspiring. Um, and I think that in terms of the peer-to-peer -peer support, even though a lot can't happen in in person, there's a lot happening virtually. And we're seeing that also with young people. You know, just virtually providing support, um, so that people know that they're not alone during this time. They're encouraged. Um, and where they have emergency needs that these are responded to. So honestly, there's been a lot of um, community creativity from within the community of people living with HIV, which is amazing. That's, That's fantastic. Absolutely yeah. amazing. So thank you so much for, for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Um, and so our final guest this evening is uh, Dr. Anton Posniak. As I said, he is an HIV consultant at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, which has the highest number of HIV patients in Europe, I believe, of any hospital. I think that's right. Um, but not only that, he is like so incredibly powerful and important that we're really privileged <laughs> to have him on the show because he is the president, the president of the International AIDS Society. <laughs> Um, and you've been doing some like amazing work. You've been doing lots of webinars, haven't you, throughout the yeah. COVID crisis? 
Yeah, so the IS has set up a whole series of webinars around uh, COVID, and we just had one about uh, regarding the community response in various parts of the world. But the other news is that we're um, we're going to in the, the the virtual AIDS twenty twenty is going to include um, uh, COVID. So that's going to be good too. So we're going to expand the program for that. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I saw that you've actually extended the deadline for abstract submission. I saw. Yeah, because so, so. so many people busy with this uh, with this COVID pandemic. We thought, wow, look, <laughs> give people some more time, and we we'll be the people compressed to get it all ready. But uh, we don't mind that because we, we want to do yeah. it for everybody else. And we hope I, that by the time July comes, uh, people will want to hear uh, not only about HIV but also about any interactions because we've only heard a little bit at the moment. Mm. Sure. Now, um, I mean, sorry, I've just got to quickly get a quick plug in because, of course, NAM is the official media partner for scientific media partner for uh, the AIDS 2020 conference. Yeah. So, um, you know, I could just recommend that that's a wonderful web website, AIDS map, you know, when you, when the conference is on. <laughs> but um, the, the other thing I kind of wanted to ask you, Anton, was I'm mean, obviously I, I talked to at the beginning of the show about uh, the prevention target so many countries committed to you know ending all new transmissions by 2030 what impact do you think covid is going to have on those targets well um i, I think that they will be altered by this whole epidemic because what we've seen um is a, a real difficult problem for us and you've just heard two speakers say what it's like in africa and i mean that's mm. the most uh, impacted continent um in, in Europe so far, we've been able to cope up till now because what we did was we, we've been giving people six months of drugs or four months of drugs so that they've got drugs, told them to stay um, uh, and do everything else that, uh, that people do in terms of social, physical isolation. And um, we're, we're doing telephone clinics. So we're keeping in contact with the patients by, by telephone or video clinics and making sure that people um, are well and stay well. The problem is, I think that there will be um, two things happening. One is, interestingly, that some people will probably not engage because they'll be scared to come to the hospital to pick up drugs. Uh, I mean, even though we say we will deliver them or get them by taxi or you can send people in. But the other interesting phenomenon we're starting to see is that people who didn't want to go on treatment and, and thought that they should stay off treatment have thought maybe I should go on treatment now to improve my immune system so that I might be able to, um, you know, if COVID came along, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get sick with COVID. Because as you saw from the guidelines, which you mentioned earlier from Europe and Beaver, it's people who have, are loads with low CD4s who are probably most at risk. So it's interesting yeah. phenomenon that. But back to your question, yeah, I think targets are going to be impacted badly in the next, mm -hmm. because it's going to take a year for us to really come out of this. And, and, and but I mean, as you say, we also see some really good examples of, of, of healthcare providers um, not only being innovative and looking for kind of new and digital solutions so that they can remain physically distant, but also of kind of uh, well, I guess I guess I'm very conscious because I look at the, the 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 data from the UK and I see the number of healthcare providers who themselves have been affected. Um, I mean, how how is it emotionally for for people at the moment? Um, yeah, so on the front line, um, it's it's obviously you try not to put older people into the front line, but they do go there. And uh, so there's quite a lot. I met um, three people today who'd, been, who'd had COVID, had to have time off. 
So in a way, the workforce impact is, is, is uh, great because of one, people can die and that's absolutely tragic and awful. And you've seen all that in the news. The other thing is that people have to uh, come off work and therefore the workforce starts to shrink uh, during this uh, epidemic. As I say, we with the HIV outpatients have been able to cope with this because of the way that we've reorganized by making sure people have got large amounts of pills at home and we just do telephone clinics. Um, they're not 100% satisfactory because you don't get all those visual clues or mm. all that interpersonal reaction, but at least we keep trying to keep people safe. Uh, but um, the, 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 it is, it's um, an emotional roller coaster with COVID, which I think that we've taken some time to come to grips with. We can't underestimate the mental health impact of this epidemic, not only on the workforce, not only on the patients, um, but, but also on whole communities. Uh, and, and you, I thought last week after Easter holiday, there was a whole feeling of cabin fever. Mm. <laughs> People were thinking, am I gonna get through the next week? It, it's really fascinating. But we, we, uh, we still have mental health support for people, again, mainly by telephone. Absolutely. And, and Anton, um, one last question. What advice would you give to people living with HIV around the world who may be anxious about um, COVID at the moment? Okay, so if you're on therapy, undetectable with a CD4 more than 200, you should take the same advice as every single other person um, and try and maintain a drug supply. Don't worry too much about your blood tests um, because if you've been undetectable before and carry on taking your pills, so really stick taking the pills to keep your immune system good. If you have stopped treatment for any reason or not started, I would recommend to try and get back on treatment or start treatment because you really need the optimum immune system possible uh, with this pandemic around. Thank you so much, Anton. It's always so great to hear from you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Anton. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, calm yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Anton's number one fan for many years. It, it, it's freaky, it's like misery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that is it that's all we've got time for this week um we've got an, again we have a brilliant lineup of guests for next week we have dr oni blackstock who is a uh it's a doctor obviously i just said that uh, in new york she's part of new york city's public health response um and obviously as we know new york has been really badly hit by covid19 and so it'll be really interesting to hear what she has to say not least about some of the racial in inequities that we've seen there we also have, and I'm going to have to look at my cue here. We have Midnight Punkasetawatana. I probably have mispronounced that. I will apologize to him when I speak to him next week. He's the executive director of the Asia Pacific Coalition on Male Sexual Health, and he's based in Bangkok in Thailand. And we've got two brilliant young activists from the UK, uh, Becky and Eli, on the show. Thank you so much for listening to AIDS Map Chat. Please do rate and review us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Acast, iTunes, or Spotify. We hope you'll join us again next week. Take care Thank of yourselves. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>